With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with you, along with Arif Hassan of Zone Coverage. And this time he's not on the phone, he's in person here at the TCO Performance Center. Arif, how are you? I'm good. I'm glad that the audio quality will be improved. The take quality will not be, but can't win them all. Yeah, no, not not at all. Um, we got a lot of things to get your blazing hot takes on, or rather, uh, your analysis, which is what you do at Zone Coverage, and it's very good, so people should check out your work. I want to start with Anthony Barr as a pass rusher. Now, after the 2016 season, I thought maybe there was a chance that the Vikings would make him into more of a pure pass rusher. And it didn't happen. Now, when Anthony Barr talked today, he alluded to that being a conversation in the past, but now they kind of want to commit to it more, of having him work on his pass rush moves against tackles and coming off the edge more often, which he didn't do a whole lot. I guess I'm really curious to see if Mike Zimmer is going to take a defense that was number one and make a lot of changes to it, or if he likes to experiment with things in training camp and then have us write about them, and then have them never happen, right? I mean, which do you think it is? Do you think we will see the same Anthony Barr role, or will we see him in more five-down situations coming off the edge? Um, I think, well, in terms of the way Zimmer approaches things, it's a bit of both. I mean, we've seen the double-A gap stuff kind of fade away, but Mm -hmm. very similar stuff kind of replace it, Um, and the defense has been good, and it's been getting better in part because he's been kind of keeping ahead of how people might respond to what he does. So we're always going to see evolution. Now, whether or not that evolution is something that we see in training camp, I think we've seen stuff before in training camp where they, they do something interesting or, or fun uh, on the offense and the defense, and we don't see it at all during the regular season. Uh, this one I wouldn't be surprised to see during the regular season because kind of the core idea behind a lot of the double-A gap stuff is that you get one-on-one matchups with your pass rushers. Uh, And having five down on the line and having Anthony Barr take on a tackle or something like that, that kind of further helps execute that idea. Uh, And it makes it very difficult for the quarterback to read kind of, you know, what protections he should call and stuff like that. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that, and I would consider that kind of an evolution of a lot of the similar concepts, but I also wouldn't bank on it. Where do you stand on Barr's value? Because that was sort of a debate going into training camp of 
which guy would you rather pay, Stephon Diggs or Anthony Barr? And, well, they've made it clear that the guy they were going to for sure lock up is Stephon Diggs. And I would tend to agree with them when it comes to the value of each player to their offense or defense, that Stephon Diggs brings you more value over another guy you could just get versus Anthony Barr. But I do think this is a guy in college who is a prolific pass rusher. And if all of a sudden this is something they start doing with him and he's coming off the edge, getting sacks and showing that he's tough to stop in that role, then I think the value goes up for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, based off of kind of his body of work in the NFL, you pay him like a traditional linebacker. The highest for that in the NFL right now is actually a very Anthony Barr-like player, Jamie Collins at $12.5 million. Um, but, uh, you know, traditional linebackers, they just don't make as much as pass rushers do, right? Um, I mean, like $20 million, you know, we're, we're getting to that point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if they end up putting him in a role where he genuinely ends up rushing the passer a lot more, maybe gets more than five sacks or something like that, um, that would be probably great for his bank account, but, you know, conversely, very difficult for the Vikings to be able to, right. to bring in. And if they end up being able to negotiate a traditional linebacker salary for him, I think they have the ability to keep him. I think um, even though it seems tight now, I think they'd be able to absorb. It might be a $12 million hit, right? A pretty high um, percentage or a pretty high total, but pretty low percentage of the cap relative to what other linebackers do. So I wouldn't be surprised. But if they end up having to deal with an agent that thinks that they can extract his pass rushing value on the open market for more it would be difficult to keep him and he is a pretty unique piece in the defense and so it'd be difficult to replace him too and that's why what you said there at the end is exactly why this whole situation is very interesting to me and kind of has been for the last few years of him not getting a lot of sacks and not really even getting a ton of pass rushing snaps I mean, for other guys who play in an, they might be in a nickel too, but guys who are more of outside linebackers, they will be rushing all the time on a consistent basis where he profiles much more like a traditional inside linebacker because he's only rushing about a hundred times out of a thousand snaps. It was only 11% of the time where he was Mm -hmm. actually rushing. So I kind of go back and forth on this because I could totally see him being great at it. I mean, for six foot four, six foot five guy, that's very rare for the inside linebacker right. to be that tall and yeah. lanky. So you would think, and based on how what he did in college, he could be really excellent at this. But at the same time, I feel like as we go along into the season and things get tight, that Zimmer may go back to kind of what he sees him as. And then if you're Anthony Barr, you might not exactly be thrilled with that, right? right. If you're going to have me be that inside linebacker, I'm not going to get paid as much. Right, yeah. And, you know, it's it's kind of difficult, right? Because, uh, you know, in order for him to be valuable to the Vikings, um, he needs to make that defense look good. And if he freelances or d- d- does something else, it's going to be difficult. Or if he kind of demands a role that the defense, it just doesn't, you know, fit for what the defense needs to do, um, he won't be as valuable to the Vikings. Um, but at the same time, it's really important for him to find those opportunities to increase his value. Uh, and there's probably ways where you can, you know, do both. But it's it's still pretty difficult, and it's easy for someone who has been successful, like Mike Zimmer, to rely on what has been successful. Like you mentioned, you know, he took very few uh, pass rush snaps this year relative to his career, and he's actually taken, I think, it's almost linear. I think he's taken fewer pass rush snaps every single year. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is the percentage of snaps where he does pass rush 
the amount of pressure he generates has actually also kind of decreased year by year, which I'm not sure what the reason for that is, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some relationship. My guess would be just the adjustment to the double-A gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that would that would play a, probably a pretty big role too. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's um, it, it's a tough situation for him because, you know, he wants to make the defense look good to be valuable to the team that he's currently on, but uh, – he knows that he can be a pass rusher. That's what he was at UCLA. The weight that he was coming out of college is actually the exact same weight Daniel Hunter was, 255 pounds. Hmm. Uh, and so, like you mentioned, he's a 6'5 guy, 255 pounds. He might have gained or lost weight uh, since uh, entering the league. But we know that he can pass rush at that weight. Um, you know, he does profile, like you say, um, as a potential edge rusher. And if he can find those snaps and make the most of those snaps— uh, then, you know, he can argue that he should be treated like maybe like a, a Von Miller or a Khalil Mack, like a guy that rushes off the edge and is productive off the edge, but can play a lot of coverage, can play a lot of traditional linebacker roles if you need him to, but that's not their main jobs. And maybe for him and his agent, maybe he doesn't think that should be his main job either. I'm wondering what it might mean schematically if he's coming off the edge more often to how teams will handle that. I mean, instead of having the two linebackers there, I think where it made them really good was against running backs coming out of the backfield Mm -hmm. where either way you were going, the Pittsburgh game, they were actually really good in the Pittsburgh game aside from some pass interference calls and one mix-up between Terrence Newman and somebody else that led to a touchdown. But slowing down Le'Veon Bell coming out of the backfield, it seemed like either way he would come out, Mm -hmm. you would have a linebacker there who was chasing him down. And when Barr is at his best, he's quick enough to get into the flat. I'm thinking of week one where he blew up Alvin Kamara in the backfield. Right. That he's he can be really excellent at that. So for Zimmer, if he's going to do this, I still see it as a balance where he's not just going to be lining up there all the time, that it's probably just going to be situational. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this was almost exclusively like a third down package uh, or if it's something where, uh, you know, Barr or the entire defense adjusts based on the running back alignment. If, you know, the alert is based off of their alignment that they're not very likely um, to have the running back go out into the flat or, or something along those lines, uh, then you might just have Barr, um, I think it's called Green Dog, uh, where you evaluate what the, the running back is doing before you blitz. Uh, and so... I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had multiple checks in the defense that kind of adjust what the defense does based off what they think is likely because of their film study. Um, but I think primarily they'll be thinking about this as kind of a third down response. And you're right, shutting down those running backs has been a really big part of, of their defensive success. It's a very common response to the Vikings being able to get pressure so quickly and, and cover receivers downfield. Uh, and so Kendricks and Barr have been instrumental in being able to prevent uh, those runs to the flat. So they need to, like you said, balance that out. And I think maybe the best way to balance that out is to – Isolated pass rushing instances to moments where that's just not going to matter. And for that reason, what you're talking about of being able to stop those running backs, that's why I saw Eric Kendricks as a guy that would be vital mm-hmm. to make sure they kept because yeah. he's just so good at that. I think he's among the best in the league at closing quickly when someone is coming out into the flat. And you rarely see – I mean, he, he had a few broke tackles last year in the Detroit game. But, yeah. I mean, he's a good tackler and he's so quick – that I don't even mind anymore if my linebacker isn't this big guy who's just breathing fire. Right. I would prefer to have him almost be a hybrid safety in today's game. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we know that, uh, I mean, you and I agree that purely running the ball is actually not all that valuable. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe there's some value in terms of, you know, making the defense do this or that or sort of like 
the kind of the game theory value in the long term. But in the short term, it is better to stop a running back pass than a running back run. And so, you know, having a linebacker who's capable uh, of blowing up those screens uh, ends up being more important, especially if you've got someone as consistent as Kendricks being able to do that, especially because we've seen, you know, the Vikings blitz off the edge with their defensive back, slot corner safeties, uh, and, you know, apparently linebackers now. Uh, And the big response that a lot of teams have had to that is instead of throwing hot to tight ends or throwing quick to receivers – they do a lot of running back screens. And so Kendricks has been really important mm-hmm. in in nailing that down. And that might be why it would have been easier to get that deal with Kendricks than it was to get that deal with Barr. So if they don't sign Anthony Barr, and I mean, I know we're talking way down the road here, and there is a 2018 season coming up, so there's <laughs> that. Um, but if they don't sign Anthony Barr long term, you can replace that guy, right? I mean, that's the way that I kind of look at he comes into the league and everyone's excited about what he's going to be. And I think that was fair because he was so good, uh, especially in 2015. But over the last two years, when you try to look at the game distribution of just how many good games he had, how many bad games, how many sort of not that noticeable games, there have probably been as many good games as bad games for him over the last two seasons. And if you're talking about investing that much and then thinking about future decisions, you're going to end up with conversations like, well, you know, do we have to cut important people or can we not fill out our depth in one spot or another? I feel like they're already sacrificing the depth positions. They're not a team Mm -hmm. that went out and signed some veteran backup safety. They're a team that has consistently relied on those younger guys to be their backups or someone like Anthony Harris, who's paid almost nothing And and, you know, they're going to have to do even more of that as they go forward if they sign Anthony Barr to a huge deal. And then it becomes really, really tricky of how to keep everybody. Yeah. um, So the the first scenario where they don't get Anthony Barr, uh, it would be super difficult to find a a way to replace it. If you take a look at the linebackers in free agency in 2019, which, I mean, generally that's a pretty stupid practice uh, before the 2018 season has occurred. But if you take a look at, you know, which of those linebackers exist, not a ton of them have Anthony Barr's skills that if you coach them up in, in a particular way that they could kind of replicate his role. Maybe Michael Kendricks, who they did try to bring in, um, who ended up signing a one-year deal with the Browns. Um, he physically has a lot of the capabilities that, that Anthony Barr has, plus you've got the fun little story of him and his brother. Um, has anyone ever written about that? I, uh, I can't imagine. His brother's in the league, huh? Yeah, you know, his brother's in the league. Um, oh. Plays for a Midwestern team of some sort. Is um, Adam Thielen, where's he from? Uh, you know, I, upper, upper Midwest, I think. Mm, um, okay. Yeah. We haven't heard a lot about, about so, his origin story either. Sorry. That is just too, <laughs> too far off. Uh, they would probably then draft his replacement, right? Would they would think? try to. Um, and what's, what's really nice is that there are, as, as kind of the NFL has, uh, has evolved, um, there have been more linebackers entering the NFL that are kind of closer to the, to that skill set, um, it's still kind of difficult to find those guys. I think there's one name that's popped up. I've actually asked about this. There's one name that's popped up that might have Anthony Barr's physical uh, size characteristics. I don't know that he was used like this in college, and it's a name I know that you love. His name is actually Josh Allen. Uh, he's a linebacker from Kentucky. This is a real person. He's 6'5", 260 pounds. Uh, <laughs> I think you're mistaken. <laughs> oh, but yeah, <laughs> I think uh, we're gonna have to end this. If you've got, <laughs> he's, you've, he's a real 
person who actually <laughs> has that name. Um, but yeah, uh, he he could be interesting. Sorry, he where is he from? Uh, well, he goes to college in Kentucky. I don't know where he's from. Sorry, that was that was uh, maybe a little too smarmy. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, you know, he's somebody to to keep an eye on in the draft. Um, it's while there have been more players that have been kind of closer to, to Anthony Barr's physical skill set entering the draft the past couple of years, it's still kind of a tall order to, to try and find someone in the draft to replace him, especially because you're going to probably end up spending a first-round pick, and you know, the Vikings already have a couple of first-round pick priorities probably. You know, it's a really rich defensive tackle draft, probably, um, and uh, and they might want to replace Shelton Richardson instead of extend him. You know, they still don't have a guard. Uh, and so they might want to get one of those in, in possibly the first or the second. And when you start adding on to that, uh, it becomes very difficult uh, to to maintain that level of defensive performance. So I, I guess the way that I've looked at that is I agree with you that the skills for Anthony Barr, being that he was drafted as high as he was, and his height, quickness, all those things combination, is really hard to replace. The production over the last two years, though, I would argue is not as hard to replace that he was good at times last year. First five games. I think he was one of the best linebackers in the NFL, but then it sort of tailed off again. And in 2016, I believe he was battling an injury at the same time. There were way too many games where he was questionable. And that's where I kind of would hesitate to give the amount of money that you're talking about when it's someone who has been kind of mid pack at what he does as opposed to what his skills are, that he can be at the very top of the game. And the fact that you already have Kendricks locked up there, he would have been the more valuable guy to me to lock mm-hmm. up because of that passing game. But um, that will be something that you're right. Do you want to spend all the money and then hurt yourself potentially later? Or do you want to open up a pretty gaping hole in your really great defense? That's going to be a difficult decision for them. Let's go, yeah. can, unless you have something more. No, can we, let's go. Flip over to the offensive line. I think draft night is a day, a night, evening, uh, late afternoon. A moment. That we are going to go back to over and over and over and over again. Constantly. All the time. And especially if Will Hernandez is any good. Or even some of the guys that were drafted in the second round, like Connor Williams, where you could have traded up to get them. Letting all of those offensive linemen go off the board and getting Brian O'Neill in the second round when there's even somebody gets a paper cut and has to miss a rep and you see what that offensive line could look like without Mike Remmers in there. Like we saw today, it looks like it could be one of the worst lines in the NFL. If anyone is out. Right. Yeah. Um, assuming the Chargers curse is over and they don't lose any offensive linemen again. Uh, I would think that, you know, the Vikings are maybe, they could be close to that uh, in contention uh, for that if, you know, say Elfline's injury is worse or it re-aggravates uh, and, and then someone else goes out, you end up with, like, two guards that I mean, you didn't even intend on maybe even having on the roster, uh, you know, before the draft started. So, yeah, I think a lot of people point to it. And the thing is, the player that they drafted, Mike Hughes, all indications thus far based on, you know, kind of the honest assessments we get from Mike Zimmer and what he's looked like in training camp and stuff like that. Sounds like Mike Hughes is uh, really phenomenal, and he's playing, you know, 
much better than you'd expect a rookie to play, especially in the system. Um, but it's not going to mean much if he's just like on the bench the entire year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe the Vikings execute a crazy trade. You know, they trade away like Mackenzie Alexander or Trey Waynes, and then Mike Hughes can start. And then Don't can, be in my mentions. And then that. finally you can That's, get a guard. And, that is you know, my Who Twitter. has extra guards? Oh, yeah, you had some good tweets on that too. Yeah. The same people have been tweeting and emailing everyone. Can they yeah. trade for a starting guard? Like, are people just trading starting guards? Yeah, you know, for, for cornerback twos that um, have only had one good year. Video games, you could definitely do that. Yeah, um, but you know, aside from that, you know, Mike Hughes is going to be on the bench, and the guy that they could have gotten in the first round, or if they traded back or whatever, they could have gotten with that pick, you know, could end up performing well. And it's really weird, actually. Uh, the Browns, who drafted, I think, Austin Corbett, who the Vikings had their eyes on, they now have two left guards and no left tackles, and are now forcing one of them to play left tackle. And it's like, man, could have really just switched the like. You both screwed it up. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Can we just have your guard? Just send him over, please. Uh, yeah, he went higher than they expected. And, that, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons that we will keep going back to it is because of what Rick Spielman said on draft night where he – Never seen a run like that before. Yeah, right. It was yeah. like you guys didn't see that coming. The draft analysts had been talking about it forever. I yeah. mean, I – Okay, so I didn't see Corbett being that high either, but still, like, they had been saying over and over again, guard value is up, there's a ton of great guards, they're all Mm going to go in the second round, Mm -hmm. even the draft simulator that I love so much. Yeah. This, it's really funny because the exact scenario that happened happened to me with the draft simulator, and I took Brian O'Neill, and that's where, (laughs) that did happen once, I was like, wow, this this is really exactly what happened, but with O'Neill... He is getting some really valuable experience. Yeah, uh, and what's what's really, I guess, fun about him is that he's doing kind of all of the things that that you'd kind of expect based off of his scouting report. So when they do these drills for the offensive linemen, they're not competing against each other, but they're performing them at the same time. Uh, and they're not like directly offensive line drills; like they're like touch the cone, you know, move here, move here. You know, he's clearly the most flexible, the fastest, you know, moving off the ball really well. Um, and then, you know, they've got him in, in some of these, uh, you know, more offensive line oriented drills. And in some of them, he looks amazing. Like he's doing a really good job getting off the block, locking his hip, moving to the second level, offensive line words. He's doing a lot of great, <laughs> uh, a lot of great stuff. Uh, and then, uh, and, and sometimes in, in the 11 on 11s and the one on ones, he's looking pretty good. But then at other times he looks like he has very recently learned to play offensive line, right. uh, which turns out to be a thing that is true about him. <laughs> uh, and so... You know, maybe and, – and, and Zimmer might be in a tough spot because, you know, he mentioned earlier today we want to play the best five offensive linemen. Well, Rashad Hill hasn't been looking great, and Brian O'Neill is maybe not ready. But Brian O'Neill may already be playing better than Rashad Hill. But if you play him too early, you could ingrain some bad habits that are going to affect him for maybe the rest of his career. And so do you really want to stick to best five? And if you're having these questions, maybe your draft strategy was not great in the first place. Yeah, it's it's a mess. So I was thinking this exact same thing that you just brought up when John D. Filippo, two John D. Filippo quotes. So I asked him in minicamp what he thought of Rashad Hill, and his answer was about six words long. And you've seen the transcript, and you've been sitting there for John D. Filippo. Tell me how many six-word answers you've ever seen. He goes yeah. on forever. Yeah, he loves talking. It's great. Yeah. But when it's six words, that's... That really sent off some alarm bells in my head, like, oh, my gosh. All he said was, you know, uh, I mean, he's trying pretty hard, and uh, he's making progress. Like, he 
couldn't think of a really good compliment to give Rashad Hill, which he's a, a backup tackle, and that's probably why. And he doesn't really move all that well. So if Filippo's offense wants his offensive lineman to move all the time, even if Brian O'Neill is going to get bull rushed right back into Kirk Cousins at a lot of times, I think with him right now, especially watching him play in college, there were a lot of situations where he was being just pushed right back into the quarterback, but they might say, well, if we're running all of these screens and things like that, he'd be a right tackle who can pull anytime we want him to. And you compare that his ability to get to the second level to Rashad's Hill, where he doesn't have any ability to get to the second level. Maybe the ups outweigh the downs in some cases. And think of Nick Easton last year with Nick Easton. He could get bull rush too, but the ups outweighed the downs for them. And they decided to have him be the starting guard. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't think the Vikings are very happy about their tackle situation. Um, and I, and yeah, I think they knew going in to the off season that they would not end up being very happy about their tackle situation. Um, but I mean, it's related to the guard question. Like if they had gotten a guard, Mike Remmers plays right tackle. Um, and Mike Remmers very well still could end up playing right tackle. Yeah. It might be better. If this goes really badly, would you rather have Remmers at right tackle and a bad guard or Remmers at guard and a bad tackle? I would rather have the bad guard. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's very appealing to think about it as like best five. Um, but, you know, and I used to be kind of on the other side of this where I thought guards were like super undervalued and tackles were a little bit overvalued. You get, you know, interior pressure matters more. But after, I mean, you've talked a lot to Pro Football Focus's Eric Eager. After talking to him, you know, he he brought up a lot of really good evidence that when you take a tackle out of a game, the the impact it has on a team's winning percentage is greater than if you take a guard out of a game. And then through another method of basically proving this interior pressure, which happens less often anyway, uh, is less valuable than edge pressure, which happens more often in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it really is maybe just better to have a bad guard and an okay tackle than to have two below average uh, players at that position. And we are so early in camp. Last year we ended camp and still ended up with different offensive linemen that we had seen for the very last practice. You know, they cut Alex Boone, and then they shuffle things around. And so I would say that if you were putting odds on all of this, that's a scenario that gets a pretty good percentage of your your betters is saying that Remmers ends up back out of right tackle. And I think at this very moment, I think that's the best way to go. Put Isidore in there or put Tom Compton if you have to at your right guard when Elfline comes back. And that, that may be where you have to go. Let me ask you before we wrap up about regression. Um, I'm writing a piece for right. tomorrow about this. You love regression. It's your, <laughs> it's your friend. Um, so Bill Barnwell wrote that the Vikings are a prime candidate to drop back. Yeah, and sure. of course you are when you win 13 games. Yeah. So I went looking. I mean, the Patriots are. The Vegas has them dropping. Everyone yeah. who wins 13 yeah. or 14 games, 15, you're always going to be dropping back. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's natural. But how far you drop back is what is going to matter here. And there are a, scenarios you could run where you'd see the Vikings winning 12 or 13 games again. Mm-hmm. And there are also scenarios because of this offensive line and because the defense had no injuries last year and yeah. could possibly Least this year. Least injured defense in the league. With not a whole lot of depth anywhere, where 
they drop back quite a bit when you add the schedule into it and Aaron Rodgers being back and all that. Um, what do you see as the high end and low end of all of the possibilities here when you run a thousand scenarios, say, with your computer that's in front of us? <laughs> Please yeah, do that right this yeah. second if you beep, could. Beep, 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 beep. Um, <laughs> so uh, I actually wrote a piece on the likelihood of defensive regression a little bit earlier in the offseason. And one of the things that you know comes up, obviously, the Vikings are the least injured defense, um, not just in the league last year, but I think over the past five years, mm. um, using Football Outsiders' adjusted games lost metric. Uh, and so it is very unlikely that they'll be able to continue that streak of, of health. Um, but on the other side, there are actually indicators of where, where they should actually do a little bit better. They were not that great at takeaways, and that's something that's very subject to regression. You know, mm. Coaches preach turnovers a lot, but turnovers are only partially a product of performance. Uh, and so the Vikings are more likely than not to increase the amount of turnovers they generate on defense. There's a couple of other indicators of positive regression too. Uh, injury is the most important, but a bunch of the other indicators go the other way. Offensively, I'm a little worried. You mentioned the offensive line. That's one reason. I think also, I don't think there's any question that Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback than Case Keenum, but that's a question about who will do better in the 2018 season. I think it is very unlikely that Cousins will be able to replicate the passing performance that Keenum cobbled together, mostly from luck. Uh, that's something I think— And screens. Was, and screens. And screens. Um, well, from the 2017 season. I mean, it was a very efficient passing offense, especially all things considered, that will be difficult to replicate. So Cousins could just be a better quarterback. The Vikings you know, maybe made the right decision uh, and all that. But still, the passing game could regress because last year's passing game was built off of a lot of luck. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's a really good chance that the Vikings regress, um, partially because of defensive injuries, partially because of you know the offensive passing game, and partially because of the offensive line. Um, but I do think that we don't want to overlook all the other indicators that that show that maybe they won't regress. I mean, they're they're a winning percentage in uh, in games by over a touchdown, the turnover and takeaway differential, et cetera, et cetera. Where I think they will is just the schedule. I mean, I think mm-hmm. the schedule is a nightmare when you look at all the quarterbacks they have to face. And people will get hurt. Quarterbacks get hurt too. Um, but not having to face Aaron Rodgers for two games is huge. And Mitch Trubisky, I'm not a buyer yet. But he sure has better weapons and a better coach than he had before. So it'll be a tougher challenge. Wilson, the Rams offense, Tom Brady, I mean, Drew Brees, Carson Wentz coming back. You have a murderer's row of quarterbacks that I don't think you really had last year. And that will probably even some of it out too. I would still bet on them to be a really good defense. But I went back to the year 2000. For Conan O'Brien fans, I know what you're saying in your head. The year 2000. Um, and I found three instances of a team going back-to-back number one in yards. And it was Pittsburgh twice and then Seattle, which was 2013-14. And no one has done it since. So there's also that. There's also, like, this league is set up so it's really hard to repeat these things from year to year to year. So even though I still think they have the same amount of talent, I would tend to lean toward, yes... They will drop back a little bit, but it would be regressing to the still awesome. And right, yeah. what's going to depend on whether you win or lose in a lot of ways, and this, this, is, this would almost be like, I'm going to go like anti-analytics take here. Oh, wow. Watch this. Football. Does your quarterback win games? Oh, geez. Is your quarterback a winner here? 
because <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I think that's what it comes down to with how does this team ha- handle your anti Tyrod takes? How does this team? Well, and I can explain watching <laughs> Tyrod games where the, it was right there to win. <laughs> His first year in 2014, doesn't want it there were like six games where Tyrod Taylor lost by a score because he couldn't drive the ball at the end of a game. Because when teams knew he was going to pass, they could stop him. And with Close games, wow, subject to regression. With Cousins, but it didn't with Tyrod Taylor. He continued to do that. And there are some quarterbacks, as we saw at Sam Bradford was one of them, who career-wise do struggle with this. Cousins is kind of up and down throughout his career with the situational stuff and things like that. But for 2018 alone, what you could see is they've got really tough schedule, a lot of really great quarterbacks who they're going to hold to lesser performances than usual because their defense is great. And you're going to be in those games. And it's going to be a lot of is Kirk cousins, a winner here in 2018. That doesn't mean for his whole life, he's a winner, a loser, but he will be in a lot of situations where it's going to be on him to make a play, make a throw that wins them a game, and that could ultimately be the difference. Yeah, so I actually uh, do think that there's uh, a couple of strains of truth here, so I'm not going to clown you too much. Um, but when you take a look at some of the quarterbacks that are known for uh, you know, performing well late in games, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, et cetera, uh, they end up, uh, so they end up producing more wins in late-game situations where they're down by a score. Uh, entering you know the final drives or something like that, but their passer rating under pressure or passer rating in those final minutes, they're not as good as some quarterbacks that are not as well known for winning those games. People like Aaron Rodgers and, and, and Tony Romo, although Aaron Rodgers has kind of fixed that reputation the past couple of years. And the reason for that uh, might be because, and, and this is maybe the Aaron Rodgers problem, we actually saw this today in training camp where uh, they're, they're, they're too scared to make really difficult throws and trust themselves to do that. Now, Rodgers, the past couple of years, he's gotten over that and his, his record in, in close games or, or, or in games with the final drive has kind of bounced back, but he's also made many, many more aggressive throws. And I think it was a response to not winning those games despite having like a high completion percentage in those situations. And you need to be able to throw, basically throw some interceptions um, or, or throw some throws that would be turned into interceptions. Uh, and I don't think Cousins does that late in games. Uh, where you need to drive. Like, you need to be able to throw riskier throws and, and have your receivers kind of uh, make the play for you uh, instead of taking a bunch of short gains. And in the two-minute drill that we saw today, that all had, like, he made a bunch of really short passes, didn't make any risky passes, uh, drained the timeouts, uh, and then we go to the 10 seconds left, and he's supposed to spike it. And with or without the uh, aborted snap that, you know, ended the two-minute drill slash the game where they were down by five points in the situation, um, they wouldn't have had enough like, wouldn't have had enough time anyway. Uh, and that's because of all the short passes. And I think that this is something we saw in Cousins games too, where they don't change what they need to do to respond to the situation. That's something we saw from Sam Bradford. If Sam Bradford was down by 10 points in the fourth quarter – and it was third and seven, there's a good chance he throws a three-yard underneath route to Kyle Rudolph. Because in a bubble, that play is fine. Like, okay, right. well, you took what you could get, and you know maybe he runs after the catch. Not Kyle Rudolph necessarily, but, <laughs> you, right? I mean, though, right. like from a philosophical, let's look at a single play, right. and you went from and read to read. divorce it from read, the context, right. yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's what you need to do. But Bradford had the arm to make special plays all over the field and just 
wouldn't do it a lot of times. It was in the same thing with Tyrod Taylor. You saw this a lot. If he got ahead, he could just run away from a team where he would just have a great day and he'd make all sorts of throws. But if he wasn't getting ahead and teams especially knew he was going to pass, that's what they're trying to get you to do is to go underneath like that. And he would kind of take what he could get, but that doesn't necessarily win you the game. So that's where with cousins, I will be interested to see like, is his confidence more now? I mean, he's got a team that has poured $84 million into him and said, we believe in you. Like, no matter what Washington said, no matter what Arif Hassan of zone coverage has written, doesn't matter. We are giving you all the money you ever dreamed of because we buy into you as, as being able to do that. There may be some sort of psychological effect there, I would think that even just having myself gone from a place, one place of employment where I felt like they didn't really want to pay me what I was worth to another one where I feel great. This one, (laughs) I, I, it's, it changes. It really does change how you feel about where Mm -hmm. you are. And I'm curious if, if there's something ingrained there entirely with him or he feels pressure because of that, or if he feels confidence because of that and whatever the results are, I will just assume that I was right about it. Like which one it was, you know, I'll just assign, I'll take the results and assign. Well, that's what I mean. (laughs) But, but it, it, that is, it's going to be one of the most entertaining and interesting things to watch how he reacts to fully having a team buy into him. Let me just ask you one question before we wrap up. Great stuff as always. Rank your top, do it, five (laughs) NFC teams right now. Oh, geez. Uh, I've got them on my cellular device. If you can't think of the teams, there's the little logo. Who is in the NFC? Who's in the NFC football? Um, So the first name that I see, because it's the first one here, Philadelphia. Let's put that as my top NFC team. Okay. Seems safe. Never heard of them before, but that seems safe. (laughs) Yeah. Have they played against the Vikings at all recently? Uh, Not that I can remember. If I pull up the season schedule, it doesn't look like I see the Eagles. Okay. So this will be a first then. It'll be brand new, coach v. coach. Right. Uh, (laughs) Why are we like this? Um, uh, Then probably number two, I'd say the Saints. Uh, Really great pieces on defense. Maybe I have to fix the linebackers. Uh, I've heard they've got a good quarterback. Um, so that'll help. I still uh, feel sad for Drew. It was a great comeback. He deserved credit for it. I know that's true. Yeah, yeah, he did a really great job. Um, <laughs> I just kind of blew past that. Sorry. Uh, and then after that, uh, I guess the Minnesota Vikings. I guess. Um, and then I should pick the Rams. I just don't believe in golf. Uh, I'll pick the Falcons and then the Rams. Not religious, huh? Oh, golf. <laughs> You got me. That's the perfect uh, way for me to end this podcast. So Then wild card the 49ers. Let me just uh, – I will say I will agree with you on Philadelphia. I don't think a ton has changed really. Yeah. And they're still going to be great. And then it gets then it gets really hairy because I want to have Green Bay in the conversation here too. I it's think- tough. I, I mean, there's a lot of room for their defense to get better fast. Yes. Uh, I really trust the defensive coordinator. I do think they have got a lot of good defensive pieces that were just misused. Plus their draft was really – stupidly phenomenal thanks to actually another member of this list the saints um so right the trade yeah so i mean there's a lot of room for them to get better fast but it's the nfc's crowded yep and i think the team the sneaky team that sort of isn't getting talked about a lot would probably be atlanta 
Like, I wonder yeah. if they go back the other direction. But uh, read Arif's work at zonecoverage.ca because he's big in Canada. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Zonecoverage.com and follow him, Arif Hassan NFL. Is correct? Yeah. It, at, at your own risk, really. Follow you on Twitter. No, great, great stuff on, on your Twitter account for Vikings training camp and things like that. So I appreciate you taking all the time, and we will talk to you all again soon on the Purple Podcast. All right. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan Leaf. It can move racing forward. And take your breath away like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by Leaf owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.